Don't raise your hand, but how many of uh, that family scene was a little too familiar for you? It was for me, anyway. Uh, even the best families, have you noticed that even the best families are always a little... Like, I got this guy in my family, um, my mom's brother. His name's Jerome. In Alabama, that's the kind of names they give people, Jerome, you know. His name's Jerome, and uh, you know... You know how Jerome and his kids celebrate the 4th of July, which we got coming up? I'm not lying, all right? They take corn cobs, dip them in kerosene, light them, as in on fire, and throw them to each other. That's how they celebrate the 4th of July. In the dark of night, throw lit corn cobs at each other. When I think about that, And why I don't want to participate in that, I have no idea, right? Everybody, can we just be honest? Does everybody have like an Uncle Jerome type guy in their family? I mean, and I'm just talking about family. Because for many of us, for most of us, that's where we hit a good chunk of our conflict in life. I know if you're anything like me, there's a part of you that, you know, you dread the family reunion. Yeah, you want to see everybody, but you kind of dread it too. Or is it just me? Y'all are looking at me like I need help up here, right? Conflict is weird. Today's Father's Day. Father's Day. We should celebrate Father's Day for just a second. Of all the fathers, stand up in the room. Stand up. All right, let's give him a hand. All right. All right, steak, okay, if you are a dad and you have more than four children, sit down. More than four children, that would be five or more, all right. If you have just one child, sit down, all right. If you, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I was going to say, if you've yelled at your kids in the last week, I don't want to do that. Um, let's see. Um, if you, at one time or another, had to, had to carry more than two jobs to, to feed your kids, sit down. All right, two jobs. One or two jobs, okay, all right. If you, at one time or another, let's see, uh, let me think. Ever read a book about how to raise kids? Sit down. Okay, good. Now we're getting there. Now we're getting somewhere. All right. And if, if uh, you got all daughters, sit down. All right. If you have all sons, sit down. All right, we're getting there. And I'm thinking of a number between one and a hundred. Go. And go. And go. What? And go. All right. All right, who said 50? All right, you, you win the prize for today, a lovely Cabela's gift card. Give him a hand, everybody. The number was 55. Well done. So we just, I just had all the dads in the room stand up. It's Father's Day. It's our day. It's the day we get to sit on the couch and be absolutely as selfish with the remote as we possibly can be, and no one can ever fault us. It's the day I get to eat too much and sit there in my bare belly and point the remote at my belly and see if the channels still change. (laughs) Father's Day. 
And we should be celebrated because being a dad is tough. Because families are all jacked up. (laughs) Even the best families. Even my family. We're all Jesus followers in my family. We're still jacked up. We throw corn cobs on fire at one another. It's hard. The other day, I, we, we just upped our cable at the house. And so I've been watching Brady Bunch reruns. How many raised on the Brady Bunch? Raise your hand or are familiar with it. All right. Mike Brady, the best dad ever. Never raises his voice. Always like, now Jan, now Peter. Never loses his temper. You ever notice like if Mike and Carol, is that her name, Carol Brady? All right, Mike and Carol ever have a fight, it's over by the end of the show, and it's not a real fight. They never raise their voice with one another. They never throw any plates or anything. He never loses his temper. There's never any red faces. And then they go to bed at night, and they've made up, and they lean over and give each other a big old French kiss, and turn out the light. (laughs) Or you got... Uh, say, Marsha's having a fight with Peter. Gee, Marsha, don't be sore. I hit you in the nose with a football, right? And that all works out by the end, even though it's a blended family with stepkids. Are you high? (laughs) But this is what I grew up on. This is my idea of a good dad. This is my idea of familial bliss this is what family is like this is what conflict is like this is how we deal with it and we deal with it and it's over in 30 minutes and everybody loves each other again and it's a load of bunk (laughs) it's not true but growing up like that i thought that's the way it and then when it didn't work because i'll be honest with you i got a i got a good marriage but there you know the whole lights out french kiss all that mine it don't look like that And my kids are just little. They still want me around. It's not a blended family. We don't have stepkids. We don't have all those resident challenges. But man, half the time they don't want to be around me either. And they're the little kids. So there's there's something about however conflict is portrayed and the reality of it. And see, we don't want to be deceived. We don't want to watch. We don't want to grow up on Brady Bunch or the Cosby show or something like that and think that that's the way that it is. And, that, and if it doesn't work out that way, then, then something's wrong with us. Because even the very, 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 this is important, even the very, very, very best relationships in your life have conflict. And it's messy. It's not neat and clean. It doesn't all wrap up in a 30-minute show. Even the very best things, you very best uh, marriages, the very best family situations, even the very best, it's messy. But we have to learn to deal with it properly. Because if we don't ever deal with it, we just, relationships fracture. And you take a guy like Paul, who poured his life out for that church at Corinth. And they managed to have conflict. Half those people didn't even want him around. And he gave his life for them. He was faithful to them. He was faithful to to speak the word to them, to to give them talks and give them all the encouragement that he could possibly give them, all the help. He never asked them for any money. But they still didn't like him. 
And so I think if, if we could learn what Paul says and how he dealt with that conflict, I think somehow in our families, in our marriages, in our church, in our friendships, in our workplace, any sphere of life, I think we would be a lot better off if we could deal with conflict properly. Or we could just let everything fracture and get dysfunctional. But Paul gives us a few clues in this, in this little section of the uh, Second Corinthians. He says in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 2, Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Okay, so I'm going to take from that and I'm going to tell you the most important truth of the day. If you forget everything else, remember this. Your best weapon to deal with conflict properly in any relationship, remember, remember that you love them. Sounds really deep and really complicated. But if we could practice it, our conflicts would be resolved in a healthy fashion. Remember that you love them. I'm a member of a small group. And we meet every Thursday night, a Life Together group, a Continue the Conversation group. We just talk about what happened on Sunday. We just continue that conversation and we go deep. And we've been, uh, Shannon and I, my wife, we've been there for a year or so now. And our leader, our leader's wife, a brilliant woman named Sarah, she's brilliant. And one day I was sitting there talking to the group and I was telling them this story about how I used to be on the road and I got this gig as a solo artist. My very first one, I was really excited. And, and usually, I'm just going to let you in a little bit, okay? Usually, if you've been traveling enough, you just really don't really want to be around anybody. After a while, you just want to hole up in the hotel and then when it's time for the show, you go do the show and then you run back to the, to the bus or truck or van or horse cart in our case, right? And you, and you just, you don't want to be around anyone. But on occasion, the guy in charge, whatever that may be, be it a pastor or a youth pastor or something, is such a nice guy or a nice person that you actually want to be around them. You want to engage with them. Well, my wife and I took a trip to Missouri. My very first uh, gig is a solo artist. And I'm all excited. And it came at just the right time because we were really struggling financially, like hurting bad. And this guy called out of the blue and said, I just want you to come and come to Missouri. We'll pay your way and I'll pay you $1,700, which was a mad sum of money, it, it, you know, at the time and very much needed. So I get there. I'm all excited. And the guy's great. He's really nice, really funny, talks really deep. And so he and I start talking about theology and stuff, and we're just hanging out. I just abandoned my wife and new baby, and I just, I'm hanging out with this guy. And, and you know what? I felt so good about it. I said to him, you know what? I'm going to grant you unoffendable status. Okay, because when we have conflict, that is every time we have conflict, it's because one or the other person gets offended. You follow that? So I said, I'm going to grant you unoffendable status, which meant in my mind and in my heart, no matter what this guy does, he can't offend me. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just decide? (laughs) That would be so cool. That would be awesome if I could just decide my wife cannot offend me. 
she could wake up in the morning and say, you're a fat pig and I won't be offended. Right? Wouldn't that be awesome if we were in church together and we just decided, you know what, how many crash members in here? Raise your hand if you're a crash member. All right, that's our membership here, okay? Wouldn't it be great as members here if we said any other crash member cannot offend me? You just, you just decide. I just decide. I'm not going to be offended. Well, the funny thing is, is I hung out with this guy for a little while. And then my wife and family and I, we went home. And then the guy didn't pay me. Now, this is, I've been walking around saying, you have unoffendable status. You cannot offend me. And then he didn't pay me. And a day went by and he didn't pay me. And I needed the money, man. And then a week went by and he didn't pay me. And then two weeks went by and he didn't pay me. And by two and a half weeks, I'm calling him on the phone, losing my temper because he didn't pay me. And it hit, I'm, I'm, I'm giving him an earful, and then it hits me. Wait, I thought you granted him unoffendable status. Isn't it funny? The minute you decide, the minute you decide I'm going to make a commitment, how that gets challenged, and it got challenged. And I realize I'm talking to my small group and I'm telling them this story. And Sarah, our leader's wife, she says, that's because I don't think it's possible to grant someone unoffendable status. You're going to get offended if you're in a relationship. You will have opportunities to get offended. It will happen. And, you know, as I read the Bible, I think she's really right. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, uh, thou shalt not be offended. Did you know that? Now, there's places in the Bible that say, thou, thou shalt not be easily offended. But the Bible kind of makes the presupposition you're going to get offended. So it just tells you what to do when you get offended. But you know what the Bible does say? Thou shalt love. The Bible actually does command you and I to love one another. It doesn't say it presupposes you're going to get offended, and that's why it makes a command. Make sure you remember that you love that person. And I think about all the conflicts I've been in, and I've got to be honest with you, I'm the worst guy to be giving you this, this, this talk this morning. Because I don't like conflict, but I get in a lot of them. And I'm downright unhealthy about it a lot of times, Right? So I feel bad. Yeah, I even feel kind of guilty that I'm here giving this. But I, I'd much rather do this than preach about money or anything like that, right? Or sex or something like that, all right? So I think about how I've dealt with conflict and all the conflicts I've been in. And I think, you know what? If I could just step back in the middle of that conflict, take a step back and remember I love them. I love that person. If when my wife calls me a fat pig, which she doesn't, I'm just throwing that out there, all right? If I could just step back and go, no, 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 I love her. And so that's what Paul says. These people had offended him. And he takes a step back and he says, you know what, in verse 3 again, I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. What's he saying? If I was about to die and I could pick any place in the world to die, 
where would, where would I pick? I'd pick like, you know, the beach or maybe warm in my bed or, or uh, you know, maybe on the stream fly fishing, having just landed a big fat trout and then I kill over and die. That'd be a good way to go. What he says is, if I were about to take my last breath, I'd want to be with you guys. That's what he's saying. We'd live or die with you. He loved them. But it's not easy, is it? Even that is not an easy decision. It's not an easy decision to go, okay, if this person begins to offend me, then I'm going to step back and I'm going to, I love this person. So then I'm going to get in there and engage and try to resolve the conflict. So I'm going to make it easy on you today. I'm not going to get all spiritual on you or anything like that. I'm going to give you a little tool you can use to help you to step back and love people. You ready? Here it is. Be selfish. Be selfish. Think of yourself. Think about your own benefit in that relationship, in that situation. How many of you know if you've been married for any length of time at all, those of you who are married in here, how many of you know if your spouse isn't happy, you just can't be happy? Come, is that me? Thank you, all right? If my wife, if that little blonde girl right there is not happy, there is no way for me to be happy. It doesn't matter. Something in me just... So if she says something to offend me, I could lash back. That's my first response. But if I step back and go, nope, I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to think about my own self-interest. I'm going to recognize if she's not happy, I can't be happy. And I want to be happy. Think about all the relationships. Think about your workplace. You know, you got tension with your coworkers. You got tension with your coworkers. Your job isn't as fun, right? You can't be as productive. You can't make as much money because you can't be as productive. You don't want to be at work as early and you don't want to go home as late. You want to get in and get out. Therefore, you're not advancing enough. See, think about yourself. It's better for me if I step back and realize and decide I love that person. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to resolve it. And I'm prepared to do whatever it takes. Paul said the same thing. I'll I'll read on. Verse 5. Verse 4. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. What's he saying? You make me happy. So if you and I have conflict, I'm not as happy and I want to be happy. I, I only say this because I know this about me and I know this about you. People really, when you get right down to it, they only do what they want to do. I, I know that's you're, some of you are recoiling at that. But really, I really think it's true. When I get right down to it, I'm just going to do what I want to do. So here we go. I want to be happy. And the best way for me to be happy is to step back, remember that I love that person, whether I know them well or not. Just decide I love them and get in there and do whatever it takes. Because I also know this, if you're anything like me, you got a lot invested in your relationships. How many been at work at the same job for more than three years? Raise your hand. Four years. Keep them up. Five years, six years, 10 years, 15 years, 
20 years, 30 years. Look at this. 30 years or more, thank you, 30 years or more of my blood, sweat, and tears invested in that workplace. It's to my very best interest to love those people and resolve those conflicts. Do whatever it takes. Once, uh, back in Georgia, my wife and I, we, we, we dabbled in gardening for a little while. We lived in this house in the suburb of Atlanta. It had a driveway that went straight down. I mean, we lived down in a hole. And I hated that part of it. But what I loved is right when that driveway leveled out, over on the right side was this huge garden, maybe as big as this stage up here. And we'd never gardened before. We were fairly newly married. And so I committed to it, man. I, bought, I rented a tiller. I got seed. I read books. I got on the internet. I did all my research. And we got out there and I tilled up the ground one Saturday and then I had my mother over, and that's hard enough as it is, you know. And so she's, she's helping me, and I'm spending time, and we're just digging in, and we're planting the seed, and we're doing all this stuff. And, and, I, and it, I'd start watching it. And then, you know, the great thing about gardening is, like, immediately you see results, right? I see little things sprouting up, and I'm getting excited. And then I see things are getting bigger, and little, little peppers sprouting, and, and little carrots and stuff. And I'm getting all excited, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat, and all this kind of stuff. And then one night, we came home from church, and we drove down that steep driveway, and my lights were shining, and I saw this little bunny rabbit. Doop, 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 doop. And my wife, precious as she is, she goes, oh, look at the little bunny. And I'm like, get the gun. Because I know what that bunny's going to do to that garden. It's going to take all my fruit, and I got a lot invested. So now I'm getting paranoid. I actually don't own a gun, you know. I wish I had, I'm getting paranoid, so now I'm going to shops and I'm asking people, how do you keep the bunny rabbits out of your garden? How do you keep the pests off your stuff? How do you do this? And, and they're telling me all these wild things. And, and like, I was doing all of them. All of them. And one, one guy even said, sorry ladies, this is gross, but one guy even said, pee on it. Like, pee, make a, like a, like a, a pee perimeter around your garden. I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. Just hang with me, okay, ladies? I'm really, really sorry, okay? And like, so every night, sun goes down. (laughs) Zip. (laughs) Right? Because I'm absolutely committed. I'm committed. I'm committed because I got a lot invested. So I'm prepared as a, as a gardener to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And Paul was the same way. Because he says, remember he wrote this letter, this really, really painful letter. He says in verse 8, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you. But only for a little while. And if, if you go back in this same book, around chapter 2 or so, he says he wrote that letter with great pain and anguish and tears. Why? He didn't want to. He didn't want to do the hard thing. See, how many times in our relationships with people we have conflict? We step back, we remember that we love them. But that love doesn't go deep enough 
to motivate us to actually do the hard thing, which would be to actually sometimes you got to go to people that you have conflict with, you got to look them in the eye, and you got to point out stuff that they need to fix. You got to somehow figure out a way to actually tell them the truth rather than do what most people do. I I don't want conflict and I don't want them to hate me, so I'm just going to sidestep that little issue. I see it and it's going to hurt them, but I'm going to just sidestep that because I, I hate the discomfort of it. And I, again, I'm the, I'm the worst one to be telling you this because I want, I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to like me at all costs. Even if I see stuff in some people's lives and I'm having conflict with them, I don't want to go to them and tell them the hard truth because it's so uncomfortable. And it was for Paul. But he did it. He did whatever it took. Because he recognized if I don't do whatever it takes, I won't be able to resolve this conflict. And I won't actually help that person. Somewhere in Proverbs, and I'll give extra points to anyone that can find me this verse for after the service. uh, It says, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. If I'm re, if I re, remember, step back and remember that I love them. If I really love them, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm going to, even if it makes me feel bad, I'm going to do it. And so Paul did it. But that's not all he did. And it goes on. Uh, if you are, if we're going to resolve conflict, we have to take example not only from Paul, but also from the people he was talking to. If we're going to resolve conflict, we have to realize that sometimes when people are going to come to us and tell us the hard thing, we have to receive it humbly. That's hard. That is tough. Because it hurts, doesn't it? You got emotion wrapped up in it. And this is for people that we, we know and we love, but it's also for people that we don't know. If, if I'm, if I'm in the slightest bit insecure about something and someone points it out to me, my first response, I'm about to go all first degree black belt on them. I'm just, I'm ready, right? But Paul, but Paul teaches here, or at least the word of God shows us here, that if we're going to resolve conflict, not only do we have to be prepared to tell people the truth, but we have to be prepared to actually receive the truth and receive it humbly. And they did, because we see in uh, verse, verse 9, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance or change. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance or change that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Then he goes on to tell them, see what godly sorrow did. See what your godly sorrow did. It made you love me more. It made you realize how devoted to me you were. And it brought them together. But if they hadn't received it humbly, what if he had written them the letter, the nasty letter, where he told them the truth and he did the hard thing and they just went, shine on Paul, and threw it out. Fracture. They can't reconcile. But they received it humbly. I remember once I was on the road, I'll tell you another rock and roll story, sorry, but I was on the road once and, and uh, we did this show and I was brilliant, you know, I was awesome. They were like chanting my name and stuff after the show. It was awesome, you know. 
and, I, and I'm feeling, I get that high, you know, you feel kind of high after a show like that, and I'm walking off stage, and, you know, people are adoring and stuff, and, and I'm just, I'm feeling really good, and this lady comes up to me, young, fairly young lady, maybe 35, 40 years old, something like that, and she says, yes, I, I need to talk to you about your movement. Didn't you think it was a little too sexual? Now, I mean, I do the same thing I do there, here. I mean, you guys have seen, like, there's nothing sexual about it. It's just what I do. I'm not, I'm not Prince up here. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just, you know. And she goes, I just need to point out to you that, you know, the Beach Boys sold 35 million records, and he, the lead singer, doesn't move an inch. And I'm thinking, yeah, but they suck. Right? And I thought that. And I could have said that. And I felt like saying that. But I didn't. I stepped back. Now, I didn't change anything. I still move. I can move then. But I just received it from her humbly. And we have opportunities like that all the time. You have an opportunity sitting right here. Maybe something I say up here offends you. Maybe something I say up here today hits you somewhere and you, you just recoil. You're just, you have an opportunity to be mad at me. Or whether you agree or not, you could step back and receive it humbly and think, he might have a point, I'll weigh that out. And by doing so, what you've done is you've increased your opportunity to resolve conflicts in any relationship, in church, in work, in marriage, in, with kids, with friends, every relationship. But are you prepared to do that? So often we're not. So often we're not prepared to step back and say, I love you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to engage. I love you, so I'm going to say the tough thing. I love you, so I'm going to receive humbly. I'm prepared to do whatever it takes because I love you. And sometimes, and this is for some of you, I know some of you here right now, you're thinking of a relationship in your life, a person probably. And you're thinking, doesn't work. I've tried and tried and tried. There's been phone calls. There's been post-it notes. There's been letters. There's been flowers sent and received. There's been all kinds of stuff. And I, it doesn't work. And you know what? It is messy. It is messy. Trying to live with people and resolve conflict. It's messy. It was messy for Paul. It's messy for God. I could turn there. I'm not going to as I'm running out of time here. But I could turn to John where Jesus is standing with his, his followers. We call them disciples in the church. His friends. And he's praying to God out loud so they can hear him. And he says, Lord, I pray that these guys would be one, even as you and I are one. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, I'm not just praying this for them. I'm praying this for all the people that are going to believe in me as a result of what they teach. Catch that. Over 2,000 years later, Jesus himself... In the flesh, prayed to God 
for you and me. He prayed that we would be one. What kind of one? Even as Jesus and God the Father are one. So if you're a Christ follower in here, you understand that to mean. You mean one as in God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Trinity, God, one God, one. They're that kind of one. Here we are, over 2,000 years later. Did he get his prayer answered? Maybe some. This is Jesus praying. What do we got? 33,000 something denominations? Did he get it? doesn't look like it but I tell you what he didn't quit and he doesn't quit trying to reconcile and he it's he's always been about reconciling about ending the conflict he remembers that he loves he's willing to do the hard thing think about this uh, in at K2 I'm just gonna give you a little little insight into how things kind of work at K2. And I'm only saying this because it was weird to me when I first got here, okay? So this is how it works. You sit in a meeting at K2. It's very unlike sitting in a meeting with a pastor in Georgia. In Georgia, the pastor says, go and do this. And you say, yes, sir. And you go and you do it. Well, at K2, that's not how it works. The lead pastor, Dave Nelson, he presents the problem. And then he says, let's kick it around the room. And there's 20-something people on staff or whatever, and we just all go around. Everybody says they're two cents worth. And, and then he gets all that wisdom, and then they make a decision. And it's very enlightened. It's very cool. It's just hard for me to get used to at first. But then I started thinking about it. What, what, if, what if heaven was like that? What if God worked that way? What if, for instance, uh, way back in the, whenever it was decided, uh, God noticed a conflict between people that he loved, you and me, and himself. Because the Bible clearly teaches that we messed up, we offended God, and therefore there's a distance there, there's a conflict. And so God notices this. Listen, I, and I'm just thinking, just go with me. God notices this, and so he gathers God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who are the one God, and yet they're distinct, and it's weird, and it's crazy, but it's true. And then he gathers all the angels around. And they kind of sit in a circle like we do at the staff meeting at K2. And God says, look, there's this conflict going on. It's this problem. These people that, that I love and, and, and we need to figure this out. So let's kick it around the room. So they start kicking it around the room. What can we do to resolve this conflict? And so Gabriel, maybe the angel Gabriel pipes in. He says, you know, well, you know, we could... We could go down there and I could put a band together and, you know, maybe put some singers and we could go down there and put, put Jesus maybe on a white horse and we could just go riding right through the center of, say, Jerusalem or some such place and, and I could make the music real good and real pretty and we could just make everything real shiny and bright and big. And then, and then, and then they'll know that your way is the best 
And they'll come to you and ask forgiveness and the conflict will be resolved. And God says, Jesus, what do you think? Jesus looks at the Spirit. Nah. It's not messy enough. We've got to get messy when you're trying to resolve conflict because conflict is messy. So you've got to be willing to get in there and get messy. So then like Michael, the archangel, he pipes in, let's go down and trash the place. <laughs> we'll ride through town a-whomping and a-whomping every living thing within an inch of its life. And then they'll know you're the boss. And they'll, yes, sir, forgive us. No. Father looks at Jesus. Jesus, hmm. Spirit goes, we already did that. The flood, you know. <laughs> Didn't quite work out the way, you know. And then like the angel like, Sean. He's sitting there in a circle and he's gazing down at us. Trying to get an idea, you know, brainstorming. Something catches his eye and he pulls like the angel like Archie over. And he says, look at that. Are they hanging people from trees down there? That's the worst thing I've ever seen. They're both like, they don't even want to show the father. They just, father looks at the son. Son looks back at him. He says, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know when Jesus had flesh and he was here, he struggled in that garden and he, you know, he had a real struggle with it. But I, I really believe that when they made that deal, whenever that was in heaven, that he was on board, baby. He was all for it. Spirit's like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Ready to go. Now, what were they doing? Resolving a conflict. That's all. But they were prepared to step back, look at us and say, I love them. Certainly they were prepared to do the hard thing. And if you can hear this today, they're prepared to receive from you. Not anything that will make them better. But I suspect if you're anything like me and my crazy walk with God over the years, you got a few mad points with God. Maybe some of you, you have a conflict with God still because you're mad that this didn't work out or you're angry that this hasn't happened or you're angry that this unjust or unjust thing has happened and you got a conflict. Or maybe you got such a conflict with some other person that it clouds everything you're doing with God. Because how we get along is so important to God. He just kind of steps back and waits for us to resolve. Somewhere, if you need scripture for that, somewhere Jesus said, if you're coming to worship God and you got this big fancy gift and you're going to lay it on the altar and worship God, but you got a conflict with your brother or your sister, leave your gift right there. Go and make it right. Then come back and offer your gift. I'm just, I'm curious. 
Nobody's got to tell me anything. Band, come on up. We're about to worship. We're about to take 10 minutes of time maybe. And we're about to do what's called offer a sacrifice to God. We're going to sing. Some of us are going to raise our hands. That's cool. That's just a sign of sacrifice. Some of us are going to close our eyes. Some may not sing because they're trying to really dig in to God. But it's all a sacrifice. But do you have something against somebody else? Is there an unresolved conflict? Have you done everything you can do? And during this first song, we're going to take communion. And communion is just a very, very beautiful picture of what I described earlier. It's just this picture that says, you know what? There was a conflict between me and God. And Jesus gave himself up to resolve it. You guys can come on down if you would. Now, you see a card on your seat. Or on one near you. It's a little three by five card. It's blank. We're going to put some baskets up here. And I promise you, in fact, I'm willing to make a bet that even as I've been talking, you got somebody in mind. You've had a conflict. Maybe you feel like you're realizing, man, I haven't done everything I could do. I just want to challenge you. This is communion. On the night his friends betrayed him, Jesus took bread. In the presence of those same friends, he gave thanks for it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you to resolve a conflict. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and he gave it to his friends and he said, this is the new deal, the new way of doing it in my blood, which I'm shedding for you. And all of that was to resolve a conflict. So what I want to challenge you to do is during this first song, some of you are going to sing right away. Some of you may not. But I want as many of you as feel led, write down a name of somebody on that card. It might be your husband or wife. You don't have to let them see. It might be a family member. It might be somebody you're working with. It might be a kid, one of your kids. Some of you kids out here might be one of your parents. Write their name down on that card. And when you come up to take communion... Trade that card, drop it in this basket. Take the bread and the cup and celebrate the fact that conflict can be resolved. It can happen through the power and the presence and the work of God in your life. As the band starts to lead, do those things. Let's take communion together.